Today's scripture reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with everybody this morning. Good morning, everybody. What a day. Um, I want to tell two very brief stories. I know we're going late. Um, we may do some audibles at the end, so we'll get you out of here at one. Um, I want to tell two stories about Tally and Miss Kim, if that's all right. I don't have uh, your permission, but um, you guys can get mad at me later. Um, I first met Tally at a ministry night. Uh, Tally came in, I love to tell this story. She had cornrows, camo pants, and a yellow shirt. And uh, yeah, it was how many years ago? 15, 16? 17. Um, and one of the things that I love about Tally the first day that I met her was uh, her strength um, and her faith and her zeal. And I just want to say, church, all the 17 years that I've known her, she's just only grown in her faith, her strength in the Lord, and her zeal. And I just want to say, be like her in her strength in Jesus Christ and her zeal for the Lord and her faith in what the Lord can do. And I am just so grateful to God for you, Tally. And I've learned from you so much in the 17 years that I've known you um, for that. And I'm um, just grateful, grateful, grateful uh, for you, whether you're in this role or not. Uh, I'm just grateful for you. Miss Kim, can I, am I allowed to tell the story about Iceland? Yeah? So, Kim and Mike pastored a church in Iceland. Miss um, Kim led probably half of Iceland to the Lord because she shares Jesus with everybody. Um, but she led this lady to the Lord whose husband was uh, very physically abusive and beating her. And um, he was a military guy. How tall was he? Like 6'6"? Six, 6'6"? Six? Six, six. 
6667, so big dude. And um, found out she was going to church and then said, don't go to church. You're not allowed to go to church. Miss Kim said, no, you go to church. You're coming to church. So this guy shows up to church to get his wife. And Miss Kim walks up to him, gets in his face and says, are you going to be a man or are you going to be a mouse? <laughs> and confronts him for beating his wife. And then I believe he came to Christ, right? Yes. <laughs> That's called evangelism, folks. All right? <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> Kim, I think the world of you. Um, Pull it together, bro. Um, just a deep woman of faith. And I, I just love how you share Christ with people. And you were, I, you're one of the top three boldest people I've ever met in my entire life. And I just want to be like you in that. I don't know if I would have had the boldness to confront a six, seven man like that to my shame. Uh, and I want to be like you. Uh, so church, and there's so many things I can say about Miss Kim, but just, man, learn from her and her zeal and boldness and her love and life of prayer. Um, man, go to wildfire with this couple, eat good food, and just listen to their stories. All right, wildfire is a steak place at McLean. It's really good. Um, get the loaded baked potato. It's amazing, all right? Okay. All right, let's talk about the devil, all right? Got 30 minutes, and um, Paul is pretty clear about it in this text. Uh, C.S. Lewis said there are two and equal opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in his existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. I was converted into a messianic, charismatic Jewish church, and I was born again into a church that felt an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. The devil was in everything. Um, I remember being with a mentor of mine, and we would go every weekend to Georgetown to share the gospel. And I remember one of the first few weeks that I was going with him to share the gospel, I had been saved for about three weeks, and we were sharing the gospel next to a club. And in the club, I believe they were playing actually a song that I had remembered. It was Tribe Called Quest, and it was actually a pretty good beat, and I was enjoying the beat. And my mentor said, run. And I looked at him, I said, what do you mean run? And he said, run, the devil is in that beat. I said, the devil ain't in that beat. Uh, I, I think Fife's in that beat. Like, that's a good beat. And, uh, and he said, no, the devil is in a 4-4 beat. You got to run. All right? 
But this is also the dude that would pray against the devil in the microphones before the Sunday service and would cast out demons from the microphones. So the devil was in everything. Um, I have been a part of churches where the devil is in everything, but I also think, and I've been a part of churches where it would seem that we would plead completely agnostic about the devil, where he's nowhere, as though he doesn't even exist. Um, I think the topic of the devil is actually very relevant for those who are believers and for those who would claim to not follow Christ at all. Um, you know, if you don't follow Christ, the idea of the devil actually brings up, I think, a very, very uncomfortable topic, and that's the topic of evil. And I think if we're all intellectually honest, I think whether you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower, you actually have to believe, I think, that evil exists. Um, while Paul gives no biography and no detail of the devil in this passage, uh, he does assume that he exists. Um, if you take a cursory overview of, of the Bible, 52 times the Bible uh, calls our enemy Satan, uh, which means adversary. 35 times the Bible calls the devil a slanderer. Now, you might be skeptical to the existence of this fallen angel called the adversary, and, and I think that's very understandable. Recently, last week, I was sharing uh, Christ um, with an atheist. He would call himself an atheist um, at Northside Social. And one of the questions he asked me is, what, what, what is God? Meaning, what, what form is, what person, what, what is he? And I said, well, the Bible says that he is spirit. And he said, well, what is spirit? And I said, well, I'm not sure because I've never met one. An angel is spirit. And so if you're here today and, and thinking through what is angel, what, what is spirit, that, that, is, that is an interesting question. There, there's, there are experiential connections that are, that are not firing right now because we, we have not yet met a non-corporeal being, right? You're looking at me like, what is that? Exactly. Exactly. It is understandable to be suspicious. But even though we may not have yet met one, we can see the effects, though, of one. Evil. We can see the devastating effects of the adversary and the devil, and it's called evil. You see, if we're intellectually honest, I think we do have to admit that there is evil. And if we're going to attempt to mythologize the devil, which most of our culture does, then we're probably going to lose our vocabulary for evil. And this is exactly what the sociologist, who is not a believer, at the University of Columbia, Andrew DeBlanco, has written about in his book, The Death of Satan. And he says this, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual answers available for coping with it. Never before have images of horror been so widely disseminated and so appalling. 
The repertoire of evil has never been richer, yet never have our responses been so weak because we do not have answers to the evil that we see because we have so dismissed the Bible's answers that we do not have answers anymore to the evil we see. Maybe perhaps the Bible's answers are correct. You see, the Bible would give that one answer to the evil we see is the devil, the enemy, the adversary, the liar. And the Bible says that the language of the devil is a liar. And perhaps the devil's greatest lie is that he does not exist at all. Paul knows that he exists and he knows from experience. And he's writing to a church that needs to be prepared for his schemes. And he wants his church in Ephesus, and I as your pastor want you to know from experience that the protection from the enemy is a protection from the powerful Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit protects us from the enemy and the adversary, the devil. And I want to do two things. I want to answer, or I want to do two points from this text. Know your enemy and take your stand. Know your enemy and take your stand. Know your enemy and take your stand. You see, folks, You can only plead agnostic for so long when it comes to the enemy. At some point in your Christian life, you will be a believer. And at that point, the question is, is will you be prepared or not? Because if you're not prepared, you're gonna be in a world of hurt. And as your pastor, I want you to be prepared. Paul wants you to be prepared. Over and over and over and over again, he's communicating to you, be prepared, take your stand. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The enemy is coming. Hey, wake up, he's coming, wake up. Hey, can you wake up? Hey, hey y'all, wake up. Can you wake up? He's coming. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. Do you get that from this text? I hope you do. Um, you see, sometimes the secondhand smoke of this little town called DC can put you to sleep. Um, sometimes the shiny things of this city can look really, really pretty. Well, that was a rhyme. And it's called a mirage. And fake things can look like real things. And it can put you to sleep. 
And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to wake up a little bit. He says, know, know your enemy. Know your enemy. Pay attention. Look at verse 10. Finally. Finally. It's like an alarm. Finally. There's emphasis. Be strong. It's to men and women. Finally, be strong. The tone is, is, is it's, it's the climax of the book. It's the most urgent. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He wants to be very clear who the enemy is and who the enemy isn't. Who the enemy is and who the enemy isn't. And boy, as Christians, do we get really confused on this one. Who the enemy is and who the enemy isn't. Who the enemy isn't is flesh and blood. What does you think that he means by flesh and blood? It's, it's people. Now, this does not release us as human beings from responsibility. We cannot say, the devil made me do that. It's not what he's saying. He's just saying at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. No. Who is the enemy? Well, verse 11 makes it pretty clear. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to take the stand against the schemes of the who, the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, this does not mean that you have to map out the spiritual world. I spent a lot of time with well-meaning Christians who took this verse to think that there was a spiritual realm that had colonels and generals and marshals and took this text as though this, there was a spiritual forces that you had to map out as though every city had a spiritual map, all right? Praise God, that's not what it means. Paul is using um, words to communicate over and over and over and over that there are powers at work, all right? Um, so just in case you read some well-meaning books from charismatics that say that you have to map out spiritual maps of forces over your city, you can come and we can talk about that, all right? Does that make sense, everybody? You're looking at me like I'm dumb, but those books are probably coming, okay? I'm just saying they've been around for a long time, right, Buck? Yes, and, and right, Mike? You don't, okay. The enemy, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces in the heavenly places are brilliant at spinning half-truths that are just enough truth in them to believe. He is an adversary, the devil. And the point that Paul is making is that we need to understand his schemes, his strategies. Winston Churchill once said to King George VI that the Enigma machine that broke the Nazi deployment codes advanced the end of the war two years. The Enigma was a description device, a decryption device that the English used to break German codes 
over radio wires that shared classified information about troop moves. Winston Churchill said to George VI that this kept the war, shortened the war two years because they were able to decipher German troop moves, because they were able to decipher the schemes of the Germans. Paul, I believe, gives us in this text from his own experience in battling the enemy for 30 years because don't think for a second Paul did have a target on his back and learned the schemes of the enemy and he's speaking out of experience to you all of us who are probably pretty new at this in how the enemy schemes in lying to you and slandering truth to you and he says to us from this here are the schemes of the enemy here's how the enemy schemes You know, it's an interesting thing. Somehow, I think sometimes, in some ways, it's depicted that these schemes as though it's like the enemy is like whispering in our ear, right? Have you ever wondered that? Part of his schemes is just groupthink. He's been around for a long, long time. Do you, do you understand that part of scheming and lying is that there are certain lies that are groupthink that have been around for a very, 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 very long time. And we see this every time that someone comes to Christ. You saw this when you came to Christ. One of the, the people that um, we had the privilege of leading to Christ, that Lisa had the privilege of leading to Christ, and I was discipling her through some things, and she was 27 years old, and I was sitting with her at Northside. She was very successful, um, and she looked at me. This was about two weeks after she came to Christ, and she looked at me, and she said, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so stupid in believing that money and sex and power, all these things, all these things would have been so satisfying. All these, how could I have been so stupid? And I said to her name, and I said, we all were. We all were. That group thinks been around for a long, long time, right? The enemy has been spinning that tail for so long. He didn't have to whisper that in your ear. Come on, that's marketed every day. You know what I'm saying? Every day. That tale's being spun every day, fooling people every day. You don't need a demon in your ear to whisper that thing in you. Every day that group sync is being reinforced. Every day we even speak that. Every day. There are cosmic, systemic, group thinks out there and by God's grace some of them we see how evil they are there are cosmic systemic group thinks out there and for some of us by God's grace we see how evil they are women are inferior 
racial inferiority, racial superiority. Do you understand that that is a demonically inspired, cosmic, systemic groupthink that has been around for thousands of years? Do you understand who was the author of that groupthink that has been sucking people into thinking that way for decade after decade after decade after decade? We can look at things like the Holocaust and the slave trade and sex trafficking and infanticide and of course there are cosmic forces behind it over thousands of years. Of course it's demonic groupthink. Don't just think at an individual level. There are, there are systemic things out there, systemic groupthinks that have been going on for a long time. And then there are things at an individual level. There are personal sins and temptations and condemnations and half-truths. And Paul calls all these things schemes. Literally, it's methods, it's strategies. And the devil has methods, and God calls us to take a stand against them. I think in this text, there are six categories that, that the text wants us to take a stand against the devil's schemes. See, there are six parts of the armor in verse 13 through 17. There are six parts. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word. I believe that those six pieces of armor, which would have been the Roman armor, those are all the six pieces of Roman armor that anybody in a Roman-occupied town would have seen every day as garrisons of Roman soldiers that would have been putting you in exile, they would have seen. I mean, Paul was in jail with a Roman soldier. He would have seen the Roman uh, soldier's armor. These are the six pieces of Roman soldier's armor. These six pieces of armor, I think, are also the six schemes of how the enemy attacks our faith. These are the six very schemes of what the enemy seeks to lie and sow seeds of doubt and distrust in you. Does that make sense? The very pieces of armor that God gives you are the very things that Satan seeks to attack, to deceive, to distrust. And this is why we need to take our stand in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit who gives us the sword of the Spirit, the truth of the Spirit, and pray in the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit to believe in the promises of the Spirit, in the Word of the Spirit. He attacks the truth, and so God gives us the belt of truth. Satan attacks the truth. You see, in Ephesians 4, verse 20, Paul says this, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, 
as the truth is in Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. The enemy will slander and lie and teach you half-truths about the person and work and teaching of Jesus. Paul says, put on the belt of truth about Jesus. Why? Because the enemy would love to twist and give you half-truths about Jesus. Here's the point. If Jesus and Jesus' teaching can become a burden to you, he wins. He wins. Why? Because Jesus Christ has clearly taught you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And if he can teach you a half-truth that Jesus' teaching is a massive burden, and he is a slave driver, and obedience to him is the worst life possible, then he wins. Then he wins. Brothers and sisters, by the power of the Spirit, you need to put the belt of truth on and say, my king is a gracious king. He is a beautiful king. He is a lovely king. And his burden is light. And he is a humble teacher. He is a wonderful teacher. He is a savior. And he's smiling over me. Don't you let the enemy come in and give you twisted truth about who Jesus Christ is. You take that sword of the Spirit. You take the truth about Jesus Christ and you curse that devil out because that's the only being you're allowed to curse out. All right? The pastor said so. Truth. The gospel of peace. He will attack your peace and he will attack your gospel of peace. Do not be duped into believing the devil's half gospel of the American dream of personal peace and prosperity. That is false gospel. The American dream is a poor substitute for picking up your cross and following Jesus. Let me repeat that. The American dream is a poor substitute for picking up your cross and following Jesus. Take your stand. The gospel of Jesus is a message of hope and peace for a broken world and a broken people. Hope for true peace where nothing is lost and nothing is broken rests in Christ. It does not rest in your money and it does not rest in your success and it does not rest in your retirement and it does not rest in your achievement. It does not rest in your personal prosperity. It does not rest in that and that alone. Now, let me retreat. All those things are wonderful gifts from the Lord. They are good things but they are not ultimate things. Know the difference. If God blesses you with financial wealth, glory to God. If there are six zeros at the end of your bank account, glory to God. If there are seven zeros at the end of your bank account, glory to God. I want to sit down with you and talk to you about wonderful ministries across the world that you can serve. Glory to God, all right? I'm just saying they are good things, not ultimate things. Does that make sense? And I am saying that the enemy is duping Christians into believing that the American dream is something to live for, and it's garbage, and it's sending people to hell. 
And he's offering something so much better. And his feet trod with the gospel of peace. True peace. True peace. Where nothing is broken and nothing is lost. Everything money can buy will break. It will break. Faith in all circumstances. The enemy will come after our faith. And he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one in all circumstances take up the shield of faith that's a big word in all circumstances in all circumstances that's a lot right in all circumstances take up the shield of faith in all circumstances take up the shield of faith and it will, it will flame out, or it will, um, what does he say? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. All the flaming darts of the evil one. I want to be direct on this one. All the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith with which you can flame out or extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I want to be direct with this one. The flaming darts of the evil one are words. They're words. Flaming darts of the evil one are words, words from the past. And those words from the past typically are words from the past from people. Those people may be meaningful or may not be meaningful. They may be loving people. They may be people from your past that love you. They may not be people from the, or they may be people from the past that are not meaningful and loving, but still they're fiery darts that have stuck into your heart and they burn like fire and they are casting gangrene all over you. They are words that hurt. Does that make sense? And you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And those words the enemy are using to sow distrust in you towards God in his goodness and your identity in him. Because that's exactly what he did towards Eve and towards Jesus. The enemy sowed suspicion in the goodness of God. And then with Jesus, the first thing he said to Jesus was if you are the son of God, sowing suspicion in his identity as son. And that's exactly what the enemy does. Tally, even this morning, who do you think you are praying? You're a daughter of the son of God. That's who you are. The goodness of God and your identity. Just this weekend, I was doing an assessment um, for a bunch of pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. Met this 60-year-old man from Columbia. This man was a cocaine dealer in um, Columbia um, in the 80s, 80s to the 90s. This guy was like a Colombian Paul, right? He got converted because this guy 
aimed a 357 at his head, pulled the trigger. I don't know if the bullet like whizzed past his, his head or got lodged in the chamber, um, but he didn't get shot in the head. And then this other dude had a knife and he was going to go and stab him. And then this guy who was not a believer looked at him and said, if you kill me, the wrath of God will be on you. The guy fell to his knees, started crying. Two months later, this dude, the cocaine dude, comes to Christ and then leads like a revival of house churches in Colombia for like five years. I mean, this dude, Mark, am I lying? You met him too. I mean, this guy, it was unbelievable. I'm sitting there interviewing him. He says to me, I am a piece of trash. And I cannot believe that God saved me from all that. And I just want my father to be happy with me. I looked him square in the eye and I said his name and I said, you are no piece of trash. I said, you are a son of God in whom he delights. You are a son of God in whom he delights. That's exactly what the enemy wants to tell you. You are a piece of trash or you are a something. And that's those fiery darts that lodge because someone has told you at some point in your life that you are a something. And it screws up something about your identity or it screws up something about that God isn't good to you. And you must hold up the shield of faith. And you know what that faith is? It's faith in the goodness of God. It is faith in the identity that God has given you now in Jesus Christ, that he delights over you in Jesus Christ, that he is good to you in Jesus Christ. If the enemy can come in and lodge himself in you and tell you that God is not good, that tells you that you are nothing, that you are a piece of trash, you know what you'll do? You will run away from God, not run towards God. You will disobey God. You will not obey God. Do you know that? If he can convince you that God is a nasty judge that hates you, of course you'll disobey. But if you're convinced that he is a loving father that absolutely adores you, it's going to be a lot harder to disobey him. And he knows that. And he's pissed off about that. Faith in all circumstances. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation, I love that. He wants you to put that helmet of salvation because he wants you to be clear on what the gospel is. See, if the enemy can dupe you into believing half gospels and false gospels of additions and subtractions, gospels plus obedience or gospels without crosses or gospels of your own crosses, Gospels of your own works instead of Christ's work, or then he's got you. The Spirit, though, wants you to put on the gospel of salvation, where it's Christ's work and Christ's work alone, where it's his death and his death only, where it's his work that makes you righteous. 
where he is the one that cleanses you of all your sin, where it's his resurrection that gives you new life, where it's all his work, all his work. And you can add nothing to his work. And that's your salvation. You come to him empty-handed, and you leave him with everything. <laughs> Let me repeat that. You come to him empty-handed. You leave him with everything. You get that, right? I love this, I'll end with this, and then we'll just end. We won't do communion or anything else because is that all right, everybody? It's 12.02. I don't want the kids' ministry to get ticked at me anymore. Um, he says, take your stand. Take your stand. Be strong in the strength of his might. Look at that. Look at that with me. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Take your stand. Verse 13, withstand in the evil day. Verse 14, stand therefore. The clear command is, is to be strong, but it's passive. It's passive. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I was very weak yesterday, and Lisa told me that I had to go pray for an hour, which was the best thing she could have told me. And I literally just sat there and um, prayed through that verse. And I love it. Be strong in the strength of his strength. It's passive. Be strong in the strength of his strength. That's a very strange text. Be strong in the strength of his strength. Be strong in the strength of his strength. Do you, do, you, do you see what he's saying? Be strong in the strength of his strength. Put on the armor. Whose armor is it? Whose armor is it? God, why does God need armor? That's a strange thing, right? What does he need armor for? Did you ever think about that? Paul is, is tying this analogy, this, this illustration to an, an Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. Um, God doesn't need armor. Isaiah 57, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. Let me repeat that. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled, and there was no one to intervene. So his own arms worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal for a cloak 
From the west, men will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. Foe, he will come like a pent-up flood, and the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come from Zion. You see, the armor that God asks you to put on, it's already been victorious. It's an, it's an armor of a victorious father that's already won the victory. You see, there's assurance in that armor. He's already won. So be strong in the strength of his strength. It's almost like you're hiding behind the legs of your father. Be strong in the strength of your strength. Okay, he's coming. So be strong in the strength of the strength of his victory and the victory of his armor and what he's already accomplished. Be strong in the strength of his strength. And that's why Paul says to us, pick up the sword of the Spirit and pray in the Spirit because that, that's where you're gonna find the protection that you need when the enemy comes. It's in the Spirit. It's a spiritual battle, it's in the Spirit. It's in the Spirit. Father, come now and just move upon us by your Spirit. Strengthen us by your Spirit. Move upon us by your Spirit, Lord. Teach us to take our stand, Lord. Teach us to listen.